going on guys welcome back to this episode of market saints been a little while but i am back solo with a very important and widespread topic right now obviously it says it in the title the debt ceiling uh, it's something that i've seen i think on social media that people almost have like a, a tentative anxiety around where obviously the deadline is approaching or the supposed deadline of, of when the u.s will default and there's two sides of it, of course. There's the economic side and there's the political side. We'll get into both a little bit. Uh, we'll go through kind of what is the debt ceiling, what's going to happen if the debt ceiling isn't raised and we default, uh, what does that mean for the U.S., what does that mean you know, globally, and then what's going on. Again, like I said, with the economic and political side, um, obviously an agreement has to be reached. Um, we'll kind of talk through, I say we, but it's just me. Um, about what's going on in Congress, why they haven't reached a deal, why people think they will reach a deal, and what the you know, ultimatum is really. So beginning with some basics, just going to cover it. It's I'll, I'll get through it quick, but it's just important context if, if you, know, you don't know what it is. But the debt ceiling is just the maximum amount of money that Congress allows the federal government to borrow to cover its bills. The U.S. obviously runs in a pretty big budget deficit, although that's not you know abnormal. Most countries do, uh, but it has to borrow huge sums of money to pay its bills. Um, again, the U.S. has the most uh, in the world from a pure number standpoint, but if you look at it proportionally as a percentage of GDP, the U.S. Uh, is actually you know kind of a little bit stable in comparison to a lot of other places. Like I think off the top of my head, I don't have it written down here. I think Japan is up there maybe as, as the highest as a percentage of GDP. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think Japan's up there. But uh, the U.S. is not the top as a percentage. But from a pure magnitude stand, we are. Um, so it was created in World War One in an effort to simplify borrowing. So prior to 1917, Congress had to approve additional debt for each new spending measure it passed, which is obviously kind of a huge waste of time on their behalf. Um so and also for the treasury to constantly have to ask permission to issue debt to pay its bills um, so they just created a limit instead obviously much simpler and gives the treasury a bit more leeway to do their job the congress uh congress has lifted the debt uh limit 78 times since 1960 so obviously this is not something that's out of the ordinary it's happened a tremendous amount of times and it was raised last in december of 2021 by two and a half trillion which then capped that limit at around $31.38 trillion in debt. Now, we've already hit actually our limit for the debt ceiling, which a lot of people may not understand or, or have you know known because it's almost the verbiage makes it sound like we haven't hit it yet, but uh, it's a little bit confusing. So we already hit the debt ceiling on January 19th. So what is it, like four or five months ago at this point? But in order to kind of withstand to the point that we are now, the Treasury has implemented, quote, extraordinary measures to continue paying the government's obligations. So they're just using some fiscal accounting cool, uh, tools to curb government investments. Um, but this emergency measure isn't going to last forever. And we are set, we meaning the U.S. government, is set to default as early as June 1st. Now, reports on this are a little bit... Um, different depending on where you look but it seems like june 1st is a pretty widely accepted potential you know first day that we could default but some people say it could be weeks after that but it kind of seems like 
the first two weeks of June or so have been circled as when the U.S. will run out of money. So what will happen if we default? So if we don't lift the debt ceiling, the government is simply not going to have money to pay its bills and we're going to default on the debt, uh, on the, the debt that the U.S. government owes. That's going to wreak havoc both domestically and globally. We can really only speculate on what this will do. Uh, so Moody's Analytics, for example, it's a, a big financial intelligence firm and it's a major rating agency. So like they raid uh, um, bonds and whatnot. So they say that GDP would drop 4 to 6%, which is pretty major. Um, again, if GDP declines at all, I think for two consecutive quarters, that's off the top of my head, I might be wrong, but I think that's right. We are technically in a recession. So even if it drops a little bit for two consecutive quarters, we're in a recession. So a 4 to 6% drop in your head may seem like, oh, that's not really substantial, but that is highly, highly substantial. Uh, and they also say that over 7 million people would lose their jobs, which again, what is there? 330 million people in the U.S. Let's say, I don't know, 60% of those people are, or 70% are of working age. It's a pretty, pretty substantial percentage if you were to just crunch that. I'm not going to bore you by trying to do that mental math, but that's still a lot of 7 million people is, is a lot. Even a very brief default. Uh, could cause a severe recession still and 2 million jobs lost. And again, this is all predicted by Moody's Analytics, which is a very trusted financial intelligence firm. Now, besides that, everything just is set to plummet. So stocks, corporate debt, the value of the dollar would probably you know, plummet. Volatility could be extreme, not only in the US, but across the world. Uh, and we don't really have much to compare this to because this would be pretty unprecedented if it happened. But in 2011, uh, when lawmakers struck a last-minute deal to avoid breaching the debt limit, the S&P 500 fell 17% in just over two weeks. Uh, and obviously, if we did default, because that was it dropped 17% and they did strike a last-minute deal, if we just flat-out defaulted, obviously, that would be way more severe and uh, the stock market would definitely reflect that. Although, right now, the stock market, this is this is an aside, the stock market really hasn't been affected that much. I think um, the financial market in general is quite confident that a deal will be struck because it kind of has to. I mean, like knock on wood has to, but you understand what I'm implying. Uh, but it, the s and up still, at least when I checked in the last couple of days. Um, and what would this also do? So imagine like social security payments would be immediately delayed or, you know, uh, other government programs and checks that people rely on, the government wouldn't be able to, you know, send. So that would be a pretty big deal. Um, and that's a way that it would affect just American civilians immediately, people who rely on that government aid. Now, some people get kind of confused as to what the government debt actually is. It can seem kind of obscure, you know, buying debt, it might not really make too much sense. But Essentially, how it's broken down right now is that foreign investors and governments hold about 31% of all treasury debt. So all of these other companies, China owns a lot of our debt. Um, I think Japan does as well. Probably most countries own at least a little piece of it. They all, um, again, own our debt, 31%. The other um, percentages is largely owned by the public, pension funds, <clears throat> and insurance companies. And the problem is, it's not really collateralized. And what I mean by that is, if you're a company, and you can't pay back your debt, 
you have a collateral on your loan. So if you were to declare bankruptcy as a, as a business, all of your assets would be liquidated and then sold. So whether that be if you owned any real estate, so if you own the property that you were operating the business in, the building, whether it's company equipment, like any sort of physical capital, whether that be machinery, cars, whatever else, whoever you owe that money to can swoop in and essentially kind of get paid back for the debt that you owe. But the government isn't backed by anything. It's really just backed by the fact that people had faith that it's the U.S. government and they'll pay them back. So it's technically backed by the taxing power of the government, if you will, I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, that can be pretty dangerous. So they can't liquidate because they're not they can't liquidate the U.S. government, right? That's it's not it's not possible. Uh, it's not an asset. So people are investing in our debt, buying our debt solely with faith and trust in the U.S. government, which is why the interest rates are so low. If you look at the rating agency, it's always thought upon that the safest thing you can buy is a U.S. Treasury bill. You're going to get a crazy low interest rate, which essentially just means you're going to get a very a smaller return on your investment. However, it's it's kind of implied and thought about the fact that that return is guaranteed. That's why it's, you know, the highest rating that you can get whatever it is like double A plus, I I'm trying to remember. But that's why. It's very safe, which is why the yield is a, is is a lot lower, but again, you're paying for a security. Now, what kind of happens um longer term? So they're not going to get repaid. If you own U.S. Treasury bill and they default, you're not going to get that money. However, the long-term repercussions are potentially super strenuous for the U.S. government because the perceived risk of holding Treasury debt is going to rise. And what does that mean? That kind of sounds confusing. It's going to be more costly for the government to borrow in the foreseeable future. So let's just say, and I'm not using correct numbers here, but I'm just going to throw it out for the sake of simplicity. Let's say that you could get a 2% or 1% interest rate on a treasury bill before the U.S. defaulted. So you knew that you were going to get 1% or 2%. Well, now the U.S. defaulted. They're a bit riskier. They're going to get downrated. So maybe they'll get degraded down to like AAA or AA or whatever else by these rating agencies. So now it's going to cost the U.S. government more money to issue debt because before they were paying me 1% or 2%. Maybe now they have to pay me three or 4%. And again, I'm not actually using real numbers. I'm just, you know, hypothetically showing you that the interest rate for an investor is going to be higher because that's just simply how it works. The riskier the investment, the higher you want to be rewarded for taking that risk and buying that debt. So that's going to cost the US government even more money for the foreseeable future. Um, so yeah, that's going to have a pretty big rollover effect. Um, Higher government borrowing costs would also make it more expensive for companies to issue bonds and take out loans, and it's going to raise interest rates for consumers taking out mortgages or using credit cards. And other downgrades that I kind of just found when I was researching this, a lot of people predict that a slew of government-linked issuers would also you know, likely suffer downgrades. So from the agencies that underpin the mortgage market to hospitals, government contractors, railroads, power utilities... Uh, defense companies that are relying on you know government funds, and it would also include foreign governments with guarantees on their own debt from the United States, such as like Israel. 
Now, also, there's you're going to see a lot of for selling. So you have a lot of fund managers that are particularly sensitive to ratings downgrades because maybe they have portfolios where every single um, investment within that fund has to fit a certain checklist or threshold of rating. And if the T-bills were to be downgraded, they would no longer be viable to be within the boundaries and rules of a lot of these fund managers. Um, and again, that would depress the prices of that. Uh, overall, the point of this is that there is going to be huge shockwaves in the financial markets, bankruptcies, recession, potentially irreversible damage to the U.S.'s long-coveted role as the center of the global economy because the dollar would take a big hit. Uh, it'd be curious to see a lot of these organizations, what's it called, BRICS? I'm trying to remember all of the companies involved. I know it was like South Africa, Russia, China, Brazil. I might be forgetting one more in there, but that might have been all of them. So again, you'd potentially see a pretty big fall in the U.S.'s global stance in the economy. Now, the current situation politically is pretty interesting, quite nuanced, but uh, I don't know how much of it's just fanfare, again, because you read all these really dramatic sounding news stories, but you have to read through the lines and understand that CNN, Fox, Politico, all of these news organizations, they need content to post. So of course, they're going to eat it up and they're going to politicize and dramatize like you're watching Mean Girls or something. Um, but it does seem that the state of Congress kind of maybe is that seems very, uh, what's the word like childish, I guess. So the probability default kind of still really remains low. That's the overarching theme. And the financial markets reflect that as it seems that nobody's panicking. But how it's breaking down in Congress in the House is Republicans currently have the House majority. And the House Republicans are insisting on spending cuts before they will agree to raise the nation's ceiling debt, uh, passing, you know, 31, 32 trillion. However, the Democrats argue that Congress already spent the money and must be allowed to repay America's debt holders. So if you really just boil this down, it's pretty, you know, obvious that a Democrat is much more pro-government spending. Republicans are usually for cuts, tax cuts, spending cuts. So this kind of boils down if you just look at it from a high level, not even content specific, context specific to what's happening here. It, it is pretty uh, on brand, I guess, of the archetype of both political parties. But the Republicans are essentially just saying that we, the country has to make tough choices regardless of the outcome. But the Democrats are unwilling to give up some of the spending that they enacted in 2022 when they had the House majority. So that's essentially the roadblock. Just as uh, Democrats are generally opposed to spending reductions, Republicans are generally opposed to raising taxes and exorbitant government spending. And there's been a lot of fire and heat on the Speaker McCarthy and his entire tenure as speaker, I should say, has been pretty tumultuous so far. And um, he kind of had to take a lot of power away from himself just to be elected speaker. And the bill obviously has to pass in the House and Senate. And if he agrees to a bill that Democrats find acceptable, 
he could face a revolt amongst conservative Republicans. So really that boils down to whatever passes through the House is going to really have to get support from most of the Republicans there. So the real question being posed is whether the House Republicans will coalesce around whatever deal McCarthy makes. Now, there is something interesting that had been mentioned, which was the 14th Amendment. A lot of people were calling for Biden to enact on this, which, quote, says, the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and boundaries or bounties rather for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. Essentially, what people are arguing is that the president has the authority to order the nation's debt be paid regardless of the debt limit. Now, this dates back to the debt incurred by the Union to fight the Civil War. And this is, again, this is an argument. The force, So they're essentially using the law to say that this could mean this, and they then could do this. So it's kind of uh, legally vague, I would say. So were Biden to invoke the 14th Amendment to allow the Treasury to borrow above the debt ceiling to pay the nation's obligations, it would almost certainly prompt a constitutional crisis and swift legal action. And the president has kind of acknowledged this, saying that he doesn't think it would solve the current problem. Because again, it's legally questionable whether it's really a viable strategy. And if it is approved, let's say the president were to do it and it were to work, um, it could really set a dangerous precedent for the executive branch just straight up circumventing Congress. Now, again, Biden's kind of said that he doesn't think he's going to do it, but the Chamber of uh, Commerce also butted into this. Their chief policy officer just straight up said it is the chamber's view that attempting to invoke so-called powers under the 14th Amendment would be as economically uh, calamitous as a default by a failure to lift the debt limit in a timely manner. So they're essentially saying that the legal uncertainty around this debt combined with increased interest costs would impose significant long-term costs on the economy, which essentially would just be similar to a default. So the conclusion of that is there is no alternative to reaching a bipartisan agreement to raise the statutory debt limit. So that just leaves Congress to make a decision to approve a bill in the next, what day is it, week or so, because, uh, again, people are saying that by around June 1st is potentially the earliest that the U.S. could default. But I guess my conclusatory remarks is not to be an alarmist. I think they'll figure it out because they have to. Um, and, yeah, because I, I think a bill will pass. Uh, I think it's just politicking at this point. I think uh, – I don't know if anyone said it. I feel like I might have heard the quote before. Maybe, maybe I'm just – miss uh misthinking but congress is the greatest reality tv show ever made and it's completely unscripted so we'll see what happens i will make a follow-up episode on when well knock on wood on when a bill is passed and we are back in smooth sailing again but that's kind of the up to the minute for this 14th amendment 
no go probably that would be like an ultra 911 move it seems like that's not what the strategy is um and i think again biden not even trying to enact the 14th amendment a understandably so from the political vagueness of it but i think that means obviously everyone in congress has way more insider information than we do on how probable a deal is going to be passed so i that gives me confidence that biden is so laid back about not implementing the 14th amendment that a deal will pass uh, it's probably much more dramatic from the outside than it is on the inside and i think ultimately they will reach a goal because they have to um, maybe the markets will suffer a little bit for a couple of days if they really cut it close but hopefully that will then rebound pretty quickly so maybe a good day to buy maybe maybe keep an eye on the markets when they open on any sort of you know day in the upcoming week or so when people are set to or people when congress is set to make a deal but yeah that's all for this episode i think going forward just because it makes it a little bit easier uh and it's quite fun i might just start making short episodes a couple minutes in length of anything that i find interesting in the news and it might be a little bit easier to listen to if it's just you know I don't know, five to 10 minutes of me rambling on about something real quick that maybe you'd seen in the news, but didn't have all the context for or didn't bother researching. Uh, So yeah, I think that's what I might do. But um, appreciate you guys listening. And uh, peace.